Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. My name's Peter, by the way. I'm one of the pastors here at Victory Church. I've been here since the church first began way back in 1944. Uh, 1944. <laughs> Not that old. <laughs> 94 when we planted the church from a church in Tea Tree Gully. And it's been my privilege to be, to be a part of the team here. And it's my privilege also to be here sharing with you this morning. And we are actually in the midst of a series called Songs of Summer, which Mick has mentioned. And we introed that series last week, so this is week two. And uh, this, this series is about looking at some of the Psalms, okay? But we started by just talking about the songs of summer. And, and um, you know, songs of summer are those songs which kind of evoke memories, feelings, emotions, thoughts about summer's gone by. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you hear a song and straight away you're back where you were many years ago. And for me, I mentioned, I actually even sung something, well, sort of sung, Come on, Aussie, come on. It was like last week, because 1978, that, when that song first played, I was just a little tacker, used to love cricket. And, and the moment I hear that, it, it brings back to my mind memory of, memories of international cricketers like Dennis Lilly and Jeff Thompson and Rod Marsh and all these guys. And it, and it also brings back to my remembrance all the, the young kids I used to play cricket with who all thought they were those guys. And we used to have some great cricket matches. And it just, it's all there the moment I hear that song. And I heard another song this the other day, it reminded me of, of something else. It's, it's John Cougar Mellencamp, Little Pink Houses. And the moment I heard it, it was weird. I was like transported back into my old ex-army Land Rover up in Mildura. And I had a ball up in that place, you know, we did heaps of fun stuff. Um, but it was, just, it was just this song, just a snippet of a song. And it was just there, it was so real, it was so vivid. You could, you could, you, could, you know, hear the, hear the sounds and see the sights and smell the, the smells and all that sort of stuff. I just, I was just there. Uh, funny story, can I tell you a quick, you got two seconds, I'll tell you a quick I had a friend in Mildura and one of the things, you know, I loved, I loved just being a bit free, a bit wild. I was, I was young and single and had a bit of money, I just started teaching and, and uh, met a really good friend up there, a guy whose name was also Peter. And he introduced me to some of the things that you do in Mildura because it's a country town and you've got to make your own fun. And so we used to go out spotlighting, we used to go skiing and forward driving and do all these things. But Pete was uh, into field and game shooting. And so one of the things he used to do, other than shoot clay target, targets, was pack his own shotgun shells. And so in his bedroom, he'd have about 27 guns hanging on the wall, highly illegal these days particularly. But he'd also have, you know, gunpowder there and you know, all the bits and pieces that go to make your own shells. And so not only did he make shells, he also made bombs. And one, and, and one day, you know, and, I, and he just kept really odd hours. And one night, um, you know, he'd rock over to my house. It wouldn't be unusual for him to come over. You know, I'd be in bed, just about to go to bed. It might be 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. And he'd go, you want to go shooting? And we'd go, yeah, no worries. So we'd just get close and off we'd go. It's just that's the way we did life back then. And one night he must have come over really late because I was actually in bed and asleep. And so about one or two o'clock, he's come to my house and this old Land Rover that I mentioned was an ex-army. It was, you know, Land Rover is a very agricultural, very basic. And it's really easy just to lift the bonnet up. So he lifts up the bonnet and attaches a bomb to my starter motor. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, get ready for church, jump in the car, turn the ignition, bang! Like not a bomb that sort of where things go, but just a big loud noise, bang. <laughs> Nearly needed to change my underwear. <laughs> got out the car thinking, what the heck is that? 
look under the bonnet, see my mate's handiwork, think, oh, thank you very much. And the old guy next door looks over the fence and as dry as you like, goes, well, mate, you finally put a bomb under it, eh? <laughs> and all of that just came rushing back, just hearing a snippet of John Cougar Mellencamp. Anyway, so songs are powerful. You know, they can evoke, you know, they bring back memories. They're also memorable. They, you know, there's things that if we, we hear in a song and you know, we, we remember them years and years later, whereas if someone had just said those words to us, they'd be gone you know, straight away. They also, I guess, are able to transport us into a different place in terms of how we feel and our emotions and all of that and where we, how we're thinking. And, um, and beyond that, they're able to unite us around those thoughts. You know, again, there are certain songs that come on and, and it can change the mood of a room. And we've experienced that to some degree this morning, just here in worship. You know, we've, we've gathered together around some powerful truth in song and it's united us around the person of Jesus and it's affected the way we feel about Him, hasn't it, as we've, we've sung. And so, you know, it's not unusual really that song and music, as powerful as it is, has always been connected to worship and faith. And, you know, that's been happening for thousands and thousands of years. And we're looking at some songs that actually were written over two and a half thousand years ago as we're looking through some of the Psalms. Okay, Psalms is a, a book in your Bible. It's, it's about in the middle if you've got a, a paper, old school type Bible. And it's 150 songs that are just essentially songs of praise that were written by people who had a relationship with God. Some of them are just declaring God's goodness. Some are uh, speaking into and praying about the challenges that they're facing. Some are giving thanks for the responses to prayer that they've had. Some are wisdom psalms. You know, they touch on a broad th- uh, variety of subjects, um, theological subjects, if you like. And they certainly um, embrace a whole spectrum of human emotion. Okay, so we thought, well, that, that's pretty appropriate for us to have, be, be having a look at this because many of us, you know, if we're honest, when things get a little bit tough, if we're Christians and we know anything about our Bible, the place we head and when we need some encouragement is the Psalms because we can relate to what's being written there. And last week I looked at Psalm 1 and today I want to have a look at a Psalm which is, has been a favourite for a long time and it's actually Psalm 16. So I'm just going to start by reading to you Psalm 16 uh, verses 1 to 11. I'm reading it from the NIV. It says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you've assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me, who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord before me, sorry, always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and you fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That Psalm or those words were written by a man called David, as I mentioned, over two and a half thousand years ago, probably getting towards 3,000 years ago. And um, it's probably worth knowing a little bit about him before I begin to just unpack the Psalm because 
The assumption might be, when you hear a psalm like that, this guy is a nerd. <laughs> you might be thinking, well, you know, who, who writes that sort of stuff? I mean, maybe you're not, if you're a Christian, but maybe you're not a Christian here this morning. You're just thinking like, what sort of person? I mean, they must have no friends to be that focused on God. They must be sort of, they obviously don't have any challenges in life. They're obviously removed from the real world to be able to write that sort of stuff. And so what I want to do is just have a quick look at who David was to just try and dispel that sort of thinking because it's not true. I mean, it might sound like it initially. You know, you read some of the stories about David, if you know anything about him. He started off life, um, he was the youngest of, of, a, of a large family and um, he was a shepherd and he was obviously, he was, he was very handsome and he was talented musically. Um, he ultimately became a great military uh, leader, um, sort of, came to fame, I guess, through his killing of Goliath, which many of you would have heard about. Um, and eventually he became king of Israel. Now, all that sounds pretty good. And you're thinking again, well, I can't really relate to that. And I would understand that. And certainly I can't relate to a lot of that, um, particularly the musical bit um, or the king bit. Or, yeah, really any of it. It's not the shepherd bit. <laughs> but <laughs> I can relate to some of the other stuff in his life. Because you see, when David came to prominence, a man who was king at the time was a guy called Saul. And one day, after David had um, killed Goliath, he became a commander in Saul's army, and he went out and had great success as a military leader. And one day, Saul hears the women of the, the, the town or of Israel singing, you know, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And straight away, something goes off in him, jealousy. And from that moment, he just cannot make peace with David. The whole time he's feeling threatened by David and he actually to the point where on several occasions, just while they're having dinner, Saul will throw a spear and try and kill him. So David eventually has to leave and he becomes a fugitive, even though by this time God has actually ordained that he will be king of Israel. And so he's, he's a man who is living in caves, being chased from pillar to post by Saul and his army. He gathers together you know, some, some friends and some allies and some people who, who, who are for him as a leader. But, you know, life is tough for the next seven years. Eventually, Saul is killed in battle and David comes into his kingship, initially with the single tribe of Judah, um, I think, and Benjamin as well, and, um, but then ultimately the whole of Israel. And you think, well, that's awesome. But it wasn't so awesome because David, while he was king, ended up seducing another man's wife who got pregnant and that became a problem for him. So what he did was he set up a scenario where the lady's husband was killed in battle deliberately. Essentially, it was murder. And so David tries to cover up his sin, but he's confronted by a prophet who basically calls down a curse on his life. And from that moment, we see the consequence of David's actions just wreak havoc in his family. We see his children, there's untimely death, there's rape and incest and an attempt to usurp the throne, etc. Things are just, you know, there's carnage going on in David's life. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to some of the other stuff. I can relate to some of the mess in life, maybe more than I can relate to some of the, you know, some of the high points of David's life. And so I think it's pertinent that we have a listen <clears throat> to what David's got to say, because he's saying things like, surely I have a delightful inheritance. And you know, we don't know when this psalm was written, but I don't think it really matters when this psalm is written, because if you will read um, about David in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, and 1 Chronicles, you'll see that it doesn't seem to matter too much what his circumstances are. He's able to find God 
in the midst of those circumstances and is able to be a person who is used by God regardless of his place or of his circumstances. And so I don't know about you, but I would love this morning, this morning just to have a look at this whole concept of finding our place. Okay, finding our place. Because if we, you know, my heart's desire for you guys and for myself is that like David, irrespective of the place I'm actually in physically or the circumstances I find myself in, that I can have a testimony that says the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance because that's ultimately God's desire for our lives. And so what I've got, I've I've sort of taken, just in terms of my three points I'm gonna share this morning, I'm just taking a bit of a, a real estate theme in terms of looking at things, all right? because we wanna find our place in life. And the first point, I'm just entitled it, just by way of helping you to remember, is just location, location, location. Andre taught me that, Andre Dantu, he's a real estate agent, but location, location, location. What does that mean? What it means is this, that when you are buying a property, what you need to consider is three things. Location, location, and location. Where that property is, is all important. For various reasons, it might be important in terms of, you know, if you're thinking of selling it as an investment or then you need to make money, it might be important in terms of, of what you're wanting in life. Um, you know, so the things that make it a location important are things like the view. You know, maybe down near the beach like Paul and Gay here. You know, location is important there. But also perhaps for some people it's more about the services, about maybe it's got to be near a, um, a shopping centre or you know, whatever it might be, maybe it's gonna be near relatives. But location is important when it comes to looking for a place. The same applies when it comes to finding our place in life, our place under God's Lordship. Okay, our purpose, if you like, is connected. But it's not just about a physical place. Too many times we, we, we think, you know, am I in the right place for God to, no, it's not about that. It's about our proximity first and foremost to God Himself. Okay, that's the the key thing with regards to location. David knew that. He said, keep me safe, O Lord, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, you're my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. So he starts from the place of being in relationship with God. And that's where we need to start this morning. Finding our place starts there. The things that are important to us, what's important to you today? You know, probably things like pleasure, probably things like provision, protection, uh, all these sorts of things, you know, purpose, all these things, they're not actually attached necessarily to where you live or where you work, although that obviously has something to do with it. But I propose this morning that those things are first and foremost connected to our relationship with God. We're designed to be in close proximity to God and to, in relationship with Him. And that's why David said the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. In other words, we can be related to the one true God or we can do our own thing and chase after all these other options. But if we do that, we're gonna bring sorrow after sorrow on ourselves. But if like David, we press in and find ourselves in close proximity to God, relationship with Him, we can have the pleasure, we can have the provision, we can have the protection and we can discover our purpose. St. Augustine said this, "'You have made us for yourselves, O God, or O Lord, "'and our hearts are restless.'" until they find rest in you. Blaise Pascal said this, there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person and it can never be filled by any created thing. It can only be filled by God, made known through Jesus Christ. 
And so these are just sayings that people have developed based on experience and based on the truth of Scripture. We're not just talking about a vague acknowledgement that, yeah, I believe God exists out there somewhere. But we're talking about coming into a personal relationship with God. We're talking about being in communion with Him, connected to Him, talking with Him on a daily basis, being able to seek His direction in our life, being able to be strengthened and encouraged in Him when times get tough. You know, there was a time when David was a fugitive and he goes off to battle. He comes back and um, the town where the women and children are living has been raided. And of course, that didn't go well down well with David, but it also didn't go down well with all those guys who were thinking, well, David, if you hadn't led us off to battle, our family would still be here. And they wanted to kill him as well. And it says at that moment, he needed to strengthen himself in the Lord. And so we need to be in that place where our connection with God is so strong, so real, so tangible, that it doesn't matter what life throws at us, we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. There's also another important relational consideration, which often we minimise, But David didn't. He said uh, in verse two, sorry, verse three, it says, as for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is my delight. And so we're designed to live in close proximity to God, absolutely, but we're also designed to live in close proximity to His people. And you know, that can be a bit more difficult because many of us love God, but we tolerate His people. (laughs) Or worse, You know, there's different approaches to church. You know, some it's like, well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian or to worship God. And so people ignore the church altogether and remain disconnected. Some people maybe go to church, but they avoid connection. You know, they're quite happy to sit there, listen to the message, look at the back of someone's head. But as soon as it finished, bam, they're out of there. They've got better things to do than become vulnerable in in a church community. And then there are others who come to church and they suck the marrow out of all that God has for them and His people. They just, they get connected, they get involved. They have friends that are part of that community and they benefit from the relationships they have. They benefit from the encouragement. They benefit from the advice and the wisdom of others and so on and so forth. And that's exactly the way God intended it to be. Now, I know it would be foolish of me to think that every person in this room has just had it all rosy and ideal when it comes to relationships in the church. Hey, the reality is church is made up of people and people mess up and people let you down and people disappoint you and all that sort of thing. But if we're first and foremostly connected to God, we can get over that stuff. We can strengthen and encourage ourselves. We can forgive, we can move on and so on and so forth. So let's not be guilty ever of saying, I love God, but neglect or despise or abuse or you know, get into conflict with or even competition with his church. Because this church and the church, as imperfect as she may be, it's the only plan God has got for this world. This world, you know, we, we live in a, in a society that has very, been very blessed by the presence of the church over the years. And if we were to remove all, all traces of the church from our society, it would look radically, radically, radically different. And you could look to other parts of the world today where the church is, is, is very much been eradicated from the picture and you only see chaos. You only see carnage. You do not see the blessing that we live in in this country of Australia. Okay, so let's never get down on the church. That's my first point. So before I move on, the question to ask, I guess, is where are you in relationship to God? 
you know, coming to church is a great start, but have you moved beyond just coming to church and have you come into a connection with God? Is there stuff going on in your world beyond what happens within these four walls? Do you speak to God during the week? Do you read your Bible? Do you get together with other Christians? Do you talk about God's goodness? These sorts of things are indicators as to whether we are rightly connected or in the right proximity with relationship to God. The second point, again, keeping on that real estate theme, is just this, this thing that God is calling us into, it's a secure lot in a pleasant place. I don't know about you, but if you're looking for a property, I reckon that's good. You want something secure and you want something that's in a pleasant place. And that's exactly what David said. He said, Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. In other words, God is involved in directing you. You're not here by accident. You're not in the circumstances you are by accident or out of somehow out of, you know, you didn't sneak under the radar and suddenly God wakes up one morning and goes, oh, how did they get there? God knows exactly where you are and he's had something to do with putting you there. He goes on, the boundary lines for me have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So one of David's strengths, as I mentioned, it's about irrespective of what's going on and where he was, he was able to find a sense of security, a sense of strength. He had basically what I'd call a good theology of place. And that's what it will do for you. You begin to recognise, hey, it doesn't matter so much if I live in Para Hills or Elizabeth or Burnside or in Australia or whether I go to Africa or whether I go to India or Indonesia. None of that really matters as long as I'm rightly connected to God. And if I'm rightly connected to God, He will direct me and He will use me wherever I am. We'll find ultimately, if we are rightly connected to God, we will find His purpose for our lives. And if we're walking in His purpose, we'll find His provision because we're on His business. We will find His protection. And ultimately in that, we will find His pleasure. We find... God's grace, I guess, in God's place that He has for us. So my question to us this morning is, have you found your place? Or probably more to the point is, have you accepted your place? Have you accepted the place that God has for you? Because it doesn't matter what God's got for you, it starts with where you are right now. It doesn't matter where you live, who you're married to, how many children you have, where you work. You know, that's what you've got right now and that's where God's going to start. You might be working in a factory and think, well, there's more than this. You might have a sense of, you know, God's called me to be the greatest apostle the earth has ever seen, preach to millions, etc. It doesn't matter. It's going to start where you are right now. And what you do with the, what you have now will ultimately determine whether that which you've heard from God, if you really have heard it from God, actually comes to pass or not. God's place for us, it's more than just an address. I live in Modbury North, but, but God's place isn't just Modbury North. It's the family I have. It's about being married to Sally Ann. And there's a, there's a part of God's place for that or in that. There's a part of God's place in terms of the children I'm trying to raise. <laughs> trying to drag up. <laughs> you know, my workplace, both now and previously when I was a teacher, all of these things were integrally um, connected to what God had for me was never ever divorced from those things. That's part of God's intention for my life. And so we can take an approach that says, oh, well, I wish, or one day, or, or we can look around us and say, no, this is part of God's place and I'm gonna make the most of where I am right now. 
I'm going to look to God for wisdom and for direction and, and for what I can do to be his person on the scene right now where I am. Every one of us has unique opportunities. I love investing into my children, A, because I love them and they're precious and all those sorts of things, but you know, it's an investment in the kingdom of God. My kids are going to you know, have influence and, and be involved in people's lives that I would never otherwise meet. And so it's an investment. It's a privilege for me to be able to spend my life into that part of that, my sphere of influence. And likewise with every one of you. You have family members, you have workmates, you have friends, you have people at your sporting clubs and the various activities that you're involved in that I may never personally come in contact with. Many of us may never personally come in contact with other than the fact you are a point of connection. And so we need to take that very, very seriously and not you know, put things off. Oh, where's my place? When am I ever going to come into God's will for my life? You know, when am I going to get to India? When am I going to get to Africa? You may never get there and God may never want you to be there. I think there's been too many people who, who don't, you know, David had a tough life, all things considered. But he was a man who's, who, who lived it joyfully. He was a man who lived it with a sense of purpose. And I think if we are in the place that God has called us and we have the right attitude towards that place, there's going to be a, a, a sense about our life, a fragrance of joy, a fragrance of peace, a fragrance of, of um, you know, energy about that. And I think some Christians get, you know, they're so driven to go and do something, they actually leave the place that God has for them in order to go and be a missionary here or a pastor there or do something. And they lose the plot and they lose their joy. They lose their peace. They lose their sense of purpose and all that because they just, they just didn't find God first and foremost in the place where they were. So start there and then allow God to lead. It's not about place. You know how I know? Because in the course of, of being a pastor, and even prior to that, I've seen so many people become Christians. They come into that relationship with God and their life is radically transformed. Before, it was miserable. Before, it was hard. Before, it was, I wish I was someone else, with someone else, had no kids, whatever, all, all the things that people say, you know, when they're burdened down by the cares of life. And yet God comes into their life and, and they're still living in the same home. They've still got the same job, still married to the same person, still have the same children. And they say, surely I have a delightful inheritance. Because they've found, they've made peace with God, they've made peace with the place that they're in and they're becoming usable in God's hand. They've discovered their purpose. And when you're walking in your purpose, then comes the pleasure, the protection, the provision, etc. Does that make sense? Excellent. My final point. We've talked about location, location, location. We've talked about the fact that God has a secure place for us, a place that He is going to protect, a place that is pleasant. God doesn't want to ruin your life. I used to be, you know, my theology on, on place and ministry and mission and all that sort of stuff used to be this. God knows what you like. He knows what you hate and are most scared of, and that's where He's going to put you in ministry. So if you, if you are most scared of going to Africa, that's the place God's got for you. But God's not like that. Okay, God loves you. He wants the best for you. He wants you to represent Him well. And, you know, I love, um, you know, we heard Mick just mentioned about um, Tony Bates being over in Indonesia at the moment. And for many of us would have met a, a great young guy. He looks young. He's actually older um, than he looks. But he's just got this massive smile. His name is Paulus. We're at new. And he 
beams. He is full of the joy of the Lord. He has discovered God's pleasure in his place. Now again, he's a Christian in a Muslim nation. There are many challenges if he chooses to look at them. Many of us possibly would be afraid to go and do some of the things that he does. Some of the things he's endured, many of us would not put our hand up for. And yet here is a guy, whenever you see him, he cannot get the smile off his face. It's a sense of he's discovered God's place and God's purpose in life. If you brought him here, it might all change. He might become a miserable old so-and-so because it's not where God has placed him. And yet we are here right now. And so God is not calling Paulus to, to minister here. He's calling us to minister here. Does this, does this make sense? You kind of get what I'm... All right, excellent. Let's move on then. All right, my final point is just this. But wait, there's more. But wait, because ultimately some amazing things can happen in your life. You can have some amazing testimonies of provision and protection. You can fulfill your purpose, but it's not all about this life. So often we just get so earthbound, even as Christians, if we're not careful. Um, But the fact is that while we're on this planet, the best is and always will be yet to come, to quote Brian Houston and all the people that said it before he did. (laughs) David knew that when his time in this place was up, he was going to be welcomed into a far, far better place. He says in verse nine, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David knew that death was not the end. He prophetically understood that he would live beyond the grave. And prophetically, he declared the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter quotes this verse in Acts chapter two, speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we need to be careful that we don't get caught up in just what's here, because this is, this is like, to, you know, to quote someone else, Rob Rufus, this is the briefest burp in eternity, this life that we have. When you compare it to eternity, this is nothing. It's gone in a flash. And if we get too caught up in what's going on here and miss what's up there, we, we, again, we're not gonna live in the level of joy, the level of peace, the sense of security that God actually has for us. Not easy to do, mind you, because we live in a very blessed time. Again, you right now, irrespective of your current circumstances, are probably one of the most blessed people on the face of the planet in terms of your material possessions, your wealth, your security, your access to food and services and all of that sort of thing. You know, it's, it's never been this good for, for people before. Even for most people right now, it's, it's not as good as you've got it. And even in the future, they're not going to have it as good as what you've got it right now. We are tremendously blessed. The trouble is we can get so caught up in the blessing. You know, all those technological advances that have been made and, you know, there's just so much distraction in our world to today. And if we're not careful, we can, this, this horrible, sneaky little lie can sneak, can, uh, sneak into our heads and it's just simply this. How can it get any better than this? You know what I'm saying? You're caught up in your technology you know, all that your iPad can do or your, your Mac and, and, you know, your cars that you drive and, you know, the, the ski boats and, you know, the great houses that we live in. And, and, and this horrible little thought can, can kind of permeate our thing. It says, how can it get any better than this? And we begin to get 
ensnared by what this world has to offer. But the fact is he can get a whole bunch better than this. God ultimately has not designed us just for this. There's some amazing, wonderful, great things that are taking place on the planet right now, but all of it is just a shadow compared to what is to come. What is to come is the reality. This is the shadow. This, is, this doesn't compare to what is to come. So as wonderful as technology is, as wonderful as, as some of the entertainment is, it's not gonna be a patch on the, the pleasure, on the reality that is life beyond the grave. <laughs> Even our bodies are gonna need an upgrade to deal with what's ahead. You know, I love when Jesus comes and he meets the disciples after his resurrection. And it's all kind of this weird stuff going on because he eats this fish, but he comes straight through the wall seemingly. And it's, it's, to me, I just, when I think about it, I think like, now Jesus' body was so real that the realities of this world were not real to him. He walked through that wall as if it wasn't there, I think. Maybe he just appeared there, but you know, there's, there's a greater reality in Jesus than there is in this world that we, you know, it's so... It's so real, it's so solid to us. But I believe that which we're going to experience beyond is going to be at another level altogether. Don't ever be seduced into thinking that heaven is going to be boring compared to here because the here is just a shadow. Whatever technology there is, whatever, whatever plans and purposes we come up with, no, as, as great as family life is and whatever societal plans we can come up God's been there, God's done it, God's thought about it. And this is just a broken image of what He actually ultimately has for us. Nothing is as it should be on this planet. Everything has been infected by sin. Everything is broken. Everything is downgraded. Everything is infected. Everything has a virus in it compared to what God ultimately has for us. So as good as it is here, it's gonna get better. It's gonna get better, okay? Awesome. Just for some homework, I'd encourage you guys to read some scripture like 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it talks about the resurrection body. It says we can't even begin to comprehend what it's going to be like. Now, you, you know, we can get really silly about that. Um, but at the end of the day, this is, these bodies of ours are pretty wonderful in what they can do. But the illustration that Paul uses, it's like, it's like you can't tell the fruit tree by looking at the seed. You know, there's going to be possibly even powers that we have. There's going to be things that we can engage in that is impossible for us right now. Because God has something so great and so far much greater ahead for us. So don't, 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 don't reduce your Christianity to Jesus making you feel good right now. Or for Him just making you a little bit more prosperous or a little bit more happy, have a few more friends. All of that, all things being equal, will happen to your life. But it's not really, you know, the focus of those, you know, like Paul who wrote the Bible, it was never just confined to the here and now. There was always a far greater. He says, look, compared to what's ahead, we're naked now. I can't wait to be clothed. You know, we're like living in tents now. I can't wait to get to my mansion. So if you're in a mansion now, it's like a tent compared to what's ahead. <laughs> it's not just wishful thinking, by the way. It would be one thing if this were just, you know, some guy off on a drug-induced moment somewhere, just thinking up ideas. But that which we have come down to us through the ages has become known as Scripture. It's, it's revelation from God. And it's not just ideas, but it's stuff that has been said 
It has been tested. It has been proved. David prophesied. Jesus fulfilled it. The, the writers of the New Testament were able to go back and, and highlight to us the fulfilment of prophecy. So when we talk about the resurrection life, when we talk about life beyond, it is based on the fact that there is already a guarantee that that will take place. There is the guarantee of the resurrection of Jesus Christ Himself. That doesn't normally happen, people. People normally die, they rot, and they are no more as far as this earth is concerned. Jesus died. Three days later, He rose again. Before He, he saw hundreds of people and then He ascended before their very eyes into heaven. He spoke before He left. Wait until you've received the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the, the Holy Spirit in your life is again a down payment guaranteeing what is to come. Have you found your place? Have you found your place? Can you say with conviction, with reality, even if sometimes it's through gritted teeth, the boundary lines for, have, for me have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Seek God. If you haven't, seek God. Press into His people. Much of what God has for you is found in others. You know, sometimes we make the mistake of, oh God, will you just... We're praying our hearts out and God's giving us answer after answer after answer and we're rejecting God's people left, right and centre. And yet God's grace is hitting us and coming at us through His people. Much of what He wants to provide for you will come through connection with His people. Don't ignore the church. Seek God's will right now in the present place that you find yourself in. And remember that when your time in this place is up, there's a far better place ahead. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 